This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. God is using Heart for Lebanon to bring practical assistance and the gospel to the stricken refugee families in Lebanon. For a gift of $116, you can give a child and his family survival essentials for four months and the hope of Jesus Christ, which lasts forever. Call now, 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us again. When it comes to prayer, one of my favorite Bible passages on the subject comes from Luke chapter 18. You'll remember this. It's Jesus's parable about the Pharisee and the publican. The Pharisee thanking God that he's not like those terrible sinners out there and bragging about his tithing versus the publican, the tax collector who couldn't even lift his eyes to heaven and he beat his breast and cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He was the one, Jesus said, who went to his house justified and that was because he humbled himself before God. It's also striking to me that the Pharisee was the big, important religious guy, but it was the publican who received mercy. And the Bible records some incredible instances of God answering the prayers of some very ordinary people. That's what we're going to talk about today with Dr. Michael Youssef. He is founder and president of Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. He is also founding pastor of the Church of the Apostles in Atlanta. And his latest book is Life-Changing Prayers, How God Displays His Power to Ordinary People. Dr. Youssef, great to talk to you again. How are you? Oh, wonderful. Good to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to have you here. Isn't it great that the Lord loves ordinary people? I think that just brings a smile to my face every time I hear it. Absolutely. You see, that's part of the reason why uh, you know, I didn't want just to write another book on prayer. You know, we got so many books on prayer, and often when the pastor gets up and says, I'm going to preach on prayer, the whole congregation groans because <laughs> Basically, nobody feels good about their prayer life, and, um, and, and so guilt and all that stuff. So I wanted to show how, from the Word of God, of course, not from my, even my own experience I don't use, but from, from the Word of God, how God cares deeply about, even if it is a, 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 a mustard seed of faith, like Eliezer, the servant of Abraham, who really did not know God personally, but he watched how his master Abraham, uh, in his intimacy with God and his dealing with God, and based on that, he anchored his own faith, and he said, you the God of the ma- my master, you have done this to him, so now would you answer my prayer? And God answered it in abundance. And then Hannah, a persecuted woman, a really was a suffering woman, and she comes and she cries her heart out to God. And, 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 and uh, you know, again, these, none of these are big prayer warriors and have the world fame for being prayer giants and all that. They were simple people. And that's what I want every individual Christian, every believer in Jesus Christ, to know that they themselves matter, that their prayer life matters to God, and that God deeply uh, not only cares and, and longs to hear them pray, uh, but he also loves to answer prayers, especially when they are prayed according to his will. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus gives us really the formula, and, and, and a lot of people miss it. I don't understand it. 
and I, I'm not big on formulas, but I, this is one of those things when he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things. What are these things? The needs. Normally we go to God with our needs and give me this God, give me this God, give me this God. Sometimes, and I'm not saying in every case, but many times people, once they get what they wanted or they didn't get what they wanted, they just uh, take off anyway. But, you know, God is not mocked. He is longing for intimacy. He's longing for a a connection uh, in prayer, not just when we need something, but just be a lifestyle. Right. Oh, yeah. Now, when you talk about Eliezer in Genesis 24, this was a really great chapter because many people would probably need to look it up and say, who is is this man again? I don't even remember who this was. But this was interesting. He was charged with going out and trying to seek the Lord's guidance on finding a wife for Isaac. So that's why he prayed. That was the context of his prayer. And what's interesting is how you point out while he was still asking for guidance, along came Rebecca. And I thought that was an interesting observation about that prayer. And I really related to that because I've been there sometimes when I'm praying for something as, as I'm praying, the prayer is being answered. Exactly. And, and God, because this is, uh, you know, he, 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 here's again, the kingdom, uh, 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 when it says, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Eliza watched and saw Abraham messing up and they got, you know, Ishmael, but God kept saying to him, no, I have a son of promise, I have a son of promise. And he knew that the future kingdom of God and even, even the coming Messiah is, is, is coming from the loins of, those, of, of, of that family. And therefore, that was a big deal to him. And, I'm, you know, God, I'm coming to you because this is the son of your promise. And therefore, he needs to have a woman who's a woman of character. And so as he prays about this, God says, hey, I heard you. I prepared her ahead of time before you even prayed. Here she is. And he gives us, he puts a sign because he did not know. You see, again, he did not have a Bible, did not have a Bible study, did not have a church, did not have a pastor. This man, in a simple faith, he said, you know, here's a sign. If, if she says this, that means I really know it's from you. And God said, okay, I know you need this. And, and you know, people kind of poo-poo that and they said, oh, in the New Testament, you shouldn't ask for a sign. Well, sometimes we really at a, at a fix when we want, desperately want to know the mind of God, the will of God, so we might obey it. And I remember many times I would say to God, I said, you know, I'm in a situation where I really don't know which door to go through. So God, I'm going to push on these doors. <laughs> and the one you open wide, I know that's from you. These are little signs that God says, yep, this is the way you walk in it. Yes, that's right. Well, you think about what the Lord says, John 14 comes to mind, where he says, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. That has been a very abused verse, though, hasn't it, Dr. Youssef? Oh, my goodness. It's terrible. You know, all I need to do is just dictate to God what he needs to give to me because I used his name. I mean, how should we look at that verse rightly and biblically? And not only that, not only that. It, 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 it's, it's what they ask wrongly, as James said. <laughs> he said yes. you, ask, you ask, you don't receive because you ask wrongly. Mm-hmm. And then you ask for things that are not really consistent with the will of God, and it's not consistent with the character of God even. Selfish ambitions and things like that. But here, here, here's what I think the, the root of that, uh, w- those words of Jesus. They go back all the way to the psalmist. You know when the psalmist said, 
Uh, here's what most people say. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Mm-hmm. This is how they go with it. I said, no, 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 no. That's not what he said. <laughs> he said, that, that's only half. Delight yourself in the Lord. Yes. And then he'll get, when I'm delighting myself in the Lord, what do I want? I want what the Lord wants. And so what I pray for, what the Lord wants, and when the Lord wants what I'm asking for, what the Lord wants, the Lord wants me to give me what he wants. And, and, and it's a cycle. I mean, it's just literally going back and forth and back and forth. What I want is what he wants. What he wants is what I want. Delight yourself in the Lord. Then he gives you the. And I think this is what the Lord Jesus is saying. He said, when you really are in intimacy with me and you come seek the mind of the Spirit, then you're going to ask, I know you're going to ask rightly, and therefore, whatever you ask, I'm going to, uh, uh, is going to be granted to you from heaven. Not this stuff that comes now across it. Hey, whatever you name it with your tongue, <laughs> able to claim it, and then that's yours. Right. That's as if God, not, yeah, as yeah. if God owes me something. Yeah, he's a bellhop sitting up there waiting for you to say, now give me one of this, two of these. Yes, sir. I, uh, it's done in heaven. Uh. And the way they talk about it is so disrespectful. Uh, and we have lost reverence for God. I really do in our generation, and it just grieves me deeply that there's a, that the deep reverence and, and utter respect and honoring of God it's just become his uh, the little pal down the street, and you just tell him what you want, and he'll give it to you. Yeah, yeah. And right. that is not the prayers that in the Scripture. And as you read through these prayers, one after another after another, they all selected, of course, to reflect different needs and different uh, ages and different stages. You know, Hannah wanted a son, and what did she say? If you give me a son, he's going to be yours. I'm going to give him back to you. Now, a lot of people would say, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> but she did. As soon as she weaned him, she took him. And you know what God does? He gives her a whole bunch of kids after that. Yes, to, yes. To say, I am going to bless you out of your socks because you kept your word. I kept my word to you. You kept your word back to me. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Michael Youssef is with us. We're talking about his book, Life-Changing Prayers. We're going to take a very short break. We'll be right back on Janet Mefford today. A mother's womb has now become the unsafest place in America, with abortion being the leading cause of death and babies being aborted up to term in some states. I was afraid. I was scared. I didn't know what to do. Everybody wanted me to have an abortion. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country, helping moms choose life. You see, when a mom in crisis sees her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, she's 80% more likely to choose life for her baby. She did let me hit a heartbeat, and I was like, wow, it's something like living inside of me. It was a beautiful thing to hear. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today and help save 400 babies by the end of this year? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds. And now through a match, your tax-deductible gift is doubled, saving 10 babies' lives. To donate, dial 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. 
Esther is 17 years old and part of the Maasai tribe in Kenya, Africa. Like many of her age and gender, Esther was subjected to practices not taught in the Bible. One is arranged marriage, where a woman is forced to marry someone she doesn't know. The other is female circumcision, done out of superstitious belief with no known health benefit. Esther lived with bitter unforgiveness until a Bible League volunteer introduced her to Jesus. Now she's led her husband to Christ, and she's seen 60 young women come to embrace the hope of the gospel. But Bibles are scarce in this part of Kenya. So please join Bible League in sending God's word to Bibleist believers in Africa and around the world for only $5. 20 Bibles costs $100. Make your most generous gift by calling 800 Yes Word. 800 Y E S W O R D. That's 800 937 9673. Or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today. We're glad you're here and always glad to have with us Dr. Michael Youssef from Leading the Way. His book is called Life-Changing Prayers, How God Displays His Power to Ordinary People. I couldn't help but think, Dr. Youssef, of Psalm 5021 when you were talking about the lack of reverence and the lack of awe and really the lack of fear of the Lord when it comes to prayer and these name it, claim it types. And this is the portion of scripture where the Lord says, these things you have done and I kept silence. You thought that I was just like you. I mean, our job as Christians is to be conformed to the image of Christ and to want what God wants, as you said, and to delight in his grace, which is always sufficient for us, even if we pray for something and God gives us something else. I mean, we should always rejoice choice. Exactly. Instead of wanting God to conform to our image, which that's a sad part of what what our society and and the modern so many people in the modern church not all of it of course thank God for the faithful churches all over this country and I'm grateful for that but we, we want God to conform to us instead of us conforming to him you know I have prayed for things in the past and I'm telling you right now this day I have been walking with the Lord now for 53 years and I I can uh, honestly tell you that on a regular basis I always thank God that he did not answer those prayers that I prayed in Amen. the past. Amen. Because I, one of them, actually, if he answered, I wouldn't be here today. I would have been dead. Mm-hmm. But I, in my foolishness, I didn't recognize, and I didn't realize what God is doing. But then, given time, we look back and we say, God, thank you for not answering that prayer. But you gave me your best instead of what I thought was my best. And uh, look, we we are very limited. We, we we only can see a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit. God sees everything. He sees the future. He sees the past. He sees the present. He sees everything. And therefore, what He gives to us is always, always, always for our best even if we have to live 50 years to realize it. (laughs) Right. Oh, you're so right about that. And you're right. The longer you walk with Jesus Christ, the more you see those circumstances where you prayed for the wrong thing and then you end up praising God that he didn't answer you the way you wanted. It's true. I I love that you bring up another important ordinary man who some people might say, well, he was king, but he was an ordinary shepherd boy, uh, started out with uh, some five smooth stones, David. And I always love reading the Psalms and, and David pouring 
pouring his heart out before the Lord. And you focus in on this Psalm 28 prayer that David offers. And I thought it was interesting how you pointed out the way that the prayer is structured, the confidence that David had, the presenting of his case to the Lord, and then he received cause for rejoicing from the Lord, especially the presenting his case. Can you speak to that a little bit and how that can help us in our prayer life looking at Psalm 28? Yeah. Uh, let, let me let me even go deeper than that. Uh, I tell people when we confess our sins, uh, we're not informing God of something He doesn't know. <laughs> right. God already knows. Our confession, our uh, uh, coming to Him in humility and brokenness, is God. Here's here's what I did. Here's what, what and 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 not make excuses, but say I am sorry. Please forgive me. The reason God is honored in this is because we are coming in agreement with Him. Hmm. He doesn't have to come in agreement with us, but we are coming in agreement with Him, and therefore we're honoring heaven, and we're honoring and and respecting His omniscience and and omnipresent. And, And therefore, as we come in and present our cases to God, God already knows it. But as we come in and present it to God, and God says, you know, I know this. Uh, I, I, I saw it before it happened. But I'm glad you came to me, and I'm glad you make this. You presented the way you presented because I love you, and I want to bless you. I want you to uh, be a blessing to others. God uh, doesn't like Dead Sea. He likes uh, 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 conduits. Uh, he, he likes flowing uh, uh, rivers. And and therefore, he wants to bless us. He really does. Not so that we can hoard the blessings. Once we start doing this, he said the blessing stops. But he, he wants us to be a flowing from um, blessings that come from him, go straight out. Comes to him, from him, go straight out to his kingdom. And so uh, in all of our prayer life, not only coming in agreement with God, but to make the presentation in such a way that God says, I know all of that, but I'm glad you do. (laughs) (laughs) Right, that's right. But some would say with David, is it presumptuous to present a case for what you're praying for when you're going before the Lord? In other words, is that a little cheeky to do that? Absolutely not, because you see, uh, uh, of, of course, God knows that. But when you make a presentation, you're doing it for yourself, really, not for God. Yeah, true. It, it's, it's we're doing it for ourselves in, in order to kind of uh, really get our thoughts all clarified in our heads and instead of being muddled. And so we're making this for us, not necessarily uh, for him. Uh, sure, the Lord knows. Um, but uh, it, the fact that he knows, it doesn't stop us from saying, God, I know you know this, but here is what, uh, the way I'm, what I'm going through. In fact, it was David who said, from the sin of presumption, Lord, uh, deliver me from the sin of presumption. Mm -hmm. In in fact, he is the one who tells us not to presume on God and not to assume on God. And the very fact that he's coming and making the presentation is an indication he's not presuming. Well, God, you know this, do it, and and he moves on. Excellent. Yeah, that's so true. I like, too, that you say, Dr. Yusuf, the lesson throughout Scripture is that faithful prayer and unconditional obedience equals answered prayer. What do you mean there about faithful prayer being partnered with unconditional obedience leading to answered prayer? Right. I'll give an example. Uh, I have said something here in this church. We have just celebrated 31 years. From day one, I've taught the leadership. 
and I do it every year. And I said, now, guys, I know there are so many people who spend time and hours and make their plans. And then they go to God and they said, God, would you please bless these plans? Now, in their heart of heart, they're doing it with, with their best of their ability. And there's nothing wrong with that. But in our church, we have a culture where we started 31 years ago to go uh, put this on its head. That we go to God, I said, please, we're going to wait in your, on you. We're going to wait in your presence until you give us your plan so then we can obey it with your power. Mm. And so asking God to give us what he wants us to do and then we obey it is a sure way of God answering our prayers because I am praying what he already laid on my heart to pray for. It's not something that I want. You know, often I've seen this a lot in pastoral. I've been pastoring for 45 years. Uh, we, we tend to answer our own prayers. <laughs> we, we are so intense about what we want and what we need that we end up answering our own prayers. But that's not how it works. Uh, it, it is utter obedience. God, I just want to obey you. Therefore, give me your plan so I can pray it into existence. And when I know because I pray it into existence, you will answer it simply because I'm praying what you want, <laughs> not what I want. And yes. So that's really what I mean by by you know the way you get answers to prayers is is not to come to him with the grocery list. Yeah, for sure. I and this is another conundrum I think that some believers have. Well, how do I know what the Lord wants? So obviously, I read the Word and I know His revealed will and I know how I am to obey Him. But if I am to put my plans aside in order to yield myself to God's plan, how do I know I'm receiving an answer? How would you guide a Christian on that point? Sure. Uh, I can tell you very, very quickly, it takes me a minute, just give my own testimony. When I started this church, uh, God privileged me to birth this church, and it was growing fast in the first two years, going so fast. I'm the only pastor on staff, running, 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 running. And then two years later, I was on my back for two weeks, mm-hmm. and I began to cry to God. And God says, now I got your attention, let me tell you. Number one, I can do this work without you, but you cannot do it without me. <laughs> I said, Lord, what, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to spend the tithe of the day, the first fruit of the day in my presence, worshiping me, and then you'll be able to minister to me first before you can minister to others. Mm-hmm. And the Lord began to teach me what it means to minister to him in worship, adoration, and praise, and so when I, you know, I stopped making breakfast, I mean, uh, yeah, breakfast appointments actually 26 years ago. I don't make breakfast appointments because 4.30 in the morning, whenever I'm, I wake up, that time I am unhurriedly sitting in the presence of God. Great. That is, I think you put your finger on it, Janet. It's that we don't sit in the presence of God. We don't wait because if we do, God will show us. Yeah. And, and, and mm-hmm. what he wants us to pray for. There are many times when I'm, after I praise God and worship God and, and, and just reveled in his grace and his mercy and prayed for the kingdom of God, prayed for the need of the kingdom and the work of God and salvation and so on. And I, 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 in the end, I said, Lord, well, you know what my needs are. And, um, and the Lord said, I got that. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, 
that is truly what it means to be listening to God and therefore being willing to hear Him. And then when the time comes, the Holy Spirit will empower us to obey Him. We can't even obey Him by our own strength. That's an impossibility. People say, obey God. Well, yeah, sure. I often say, God, you know I can't obey you unless the Holy Spirit empowers me to obey you. And so it's a total dependence on God. It and is. God rejoices in this. And I said, he rejoices over us with singing. And he said, great, that's, that's what I want to see. Yeah, I love how you really unpack that because that is, first of all, I'm a 4.30 in the morning with the Lord person myself, so I understand completely where you're coming from. But there is something about having that deep fellowship with the Lord that makes you less likely to bring a laundry list. At least it is for me because you understand what you were just talking about. The Lord knows everything that's going on in your life. He knows every situation. You don't have to worry about it. It's like Luther's old line, pray and let God worry. And I I think that that's such an important thing for Christians to realize and, and ultimately realize what you've said about the purpose of prayer being to magnify the Lord. It's about Him ultimately. And people can check it out. Life-changing prayers, how God displays His power to ordinary people by Dr. Michael Youssef. And it was always a pleasure to have you, Dr. Youssef. Thank you so much for being with us pleasure. again. Pleasure. Okay. Pleasure, Janet. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. God bless. And we'll be back right after this. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. God is using Heart for Lebanon to bring practical assistance and the gospel to the stricken refugee families in Lebanon. For a gift of $116, you can give a child and his family survival essentials for four months and the hope of Jesus Christ, which lasts forever. Call now, 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. Ezekiel 37 recounts how the Lord brought a valley of dry bones back to life. You remember this passage. And as tendons and flesh and breath came back into the bodies over those bones, a vast army appeared. And it really is an incredible passage for a lot of reasons, but it's hopeful as well. Because we know that we love and serve a God who specializes in bringing the dead back to life, not just the Lord Jesus Christ or all of us as Christians one day, but he's also the God who takes us sinners dead in our transgressions and sins and breathes new life back into us by his grace in Jesus Christ. That also means that no matter what we did in the past, there is hope for us and there is forgiveness and healing. And we're going to talk about that today with Kevin Goose. He has been in ministry since 1991, has served as a pastor and a chaplain, and today he is here to talk about his book called Dry Bones, Redeeming Your Past. Kevin, welcome. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, thank you. You have your own story, I know, that serves as the backdrop for this issue. Can you tell us about your past and especially about your resignation as a pastor? What happened in your life that really made this issue a key issue for you? Absolutely. You know, unfortunately, I was one who ignored a lot of the signs and symptoms of burnout in in life and ministry, just thought I could keep pressing harder and harder. And ultimately, it just really led to a a, a blurring of lines in which I crossed some ethical and and moral boundaries and and hurt my, my wife, my children, and those I ministered to. And in that resignation, had to walk through um, a pretty extensive restoration process. But in the in the years since, have 
just been grateful of what God has done to restore. But I do know those moments where you wonder, how did I get here? And Lord, what's what's the road and what are the steps past that? Yeah. Now you talk in your book, I know, going all the way back to your childhood about some of the events in your life that shaped you. Looking back on the, the course of your life leading up to your resignation and the crossing of those ethical and moral boundaries that you just mentioned, what shaped you? What went wrong in your life as you look back that led up to that? You know, I would say that one of the, there were probably two key, I would say, pitfalls. Uh, one, I just believed that if I worked harder, tried harder, and pushed forward, that I could ignore or believe I was past some of those wounds that go back into, you know, into early life. And, you know, I would say second that came out of that is that I believed a false perception that if I didn't perform, then others wouldn't really choose to be in relationship or friendship with me. And, you know, those it's unfortunately there's lies that when when they're believed early, they become roots in someone's life. They there were roots in my life. And when you try to deal with the struggles as an adult, it's almost like snipping off the dandelions. Hmm. You think you've got it, but the root's still there. Yeah. And and so when I look back, those were two significant factors where uh, I did much too much uh, dandelion snipping, so to speak. Yeah. Now, it is difficult, I understand. When you're a pastor, when you're in ministry, it's often the case that there will be people who are very type A, very hard workers, but they neglect their relationship with the Lord along the way. And I know that's always something that pastors and people who are very busy for the Lord will talk about. Do you feel like that happened to you as well, that, that you were caught up in doing and, and that was part of the problem in your life? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, it's one of those where you can kind of just get focused on that doing for the Lord and, and lose sight that the doing has to flow out of being. You know, there's a, a sense in which if there's not that flowing in, uh, it becomes a reservoir that's depleted and you have less and less to offer. And, and out of that, emotionally, mentally, relationally, you're kind of just uh, running on fumes and, and just gasping. And, and definitely there were warning signs that, that I ignored and pushing harder and harder did not solve the problem. Right. That's difficult. So when it all came to a head, when you resigned uh, as a pastor, what was your life like then? What happened to you? And, and what did you think about your own life at that point? You know, it's this amazing uh, kind of kind of two sides of the coin. You know, on one side, I struggled deeply with a, you know, uh, a self-loathing of just, if you had said to me, Kevin, you're going to you know, break your covenant with God, you're going to wound the heart of your wife, you're going to hurt your children or bring shame on the name of Jesus. I, I don't believe that that would have happened to me. So on one hand, there was a sense of just horrible shame. The flip side is at the same time, I was overwhelmed with how God, through people, through His Word, through His Spirit, was pouring out grace and I remember reflecting on it going, oh my God, why why now would such powerful grace been shown? And I really clearly in the Word, through our skilled counselor, through the Holy Spirit, through loved ones, just kept hearing the same message. Um, I needed to walk a journey where I received accountability, yes, but also a grace that was not based on performance. Clearly, if I could go back, I'd sure change some things. But at that moment, it was a, kind of a juxtaposition between the necessary consequences, because, lead, you know, as a spiritual leader, I had failed and had betrayed trust, but also that God was saying, there is a future, and I'm going to show you a different way. 
to go about serving me. Well, right. Now, did you feel at that juncture that you could not redeem your past? Did you look back with regret to the extent that you thought, I'm done, I don't know how I'm going to go forward from here? You know, definitely those thoughts crossed my mind. I was fortunate to have people in my life who were saying other messages, but I did have to walk a journey to understand the difference between shame and regret. You know, shame kind of going back to the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve and their sin, they caused them to withdraw from God. You know, the and so there's those lies from the enemy, the lies we tell ourselves to where you pull back, where repentance we run to God because we say, Lord, I have kind of like when Peter said, Lord, you have the words of life. Where else would we go? Yes. And so the sense of repentance that leads to regret that says, if I could go back, boy, I sure would change it. But since I can't, God, I have to trust you to rebuild. And so I, I definitely had to walk that journey because at the beginning, it was much more marked by shame, but there was a journey to understanding how you could, I could still have the necessary regret and remorse and repentance, but still see that there was a future and a hope. Well, that's important. That's absolutely critical for being able to move forward. And I know you talk about some of these situations where people need healing and freedom. And it's interesting because one of those situations you mentioned is the glory days. People will look back and say, oh, everything was so great. I was a star athlete in high school. Or I had a great job 10 years ago and now I've lost my house and my you know, my wife left me or whatever it happens to be. They always look back on when times were good and that prevents them from moving through what may be a difficult season now. I mean, what did you learn in that regard through the experience that God took you through after you had resigned, just understanding that you can't look backwards like that and just say everything in the past was perfect because normally it really wasn't that perfect. We tend to really sentimentalize the past sometimes. Oh, you're absolutely correct. It's one of those where we often don't recognize the good times until later. And then we try to recreate those. And there is that, you know, I think of the parable where Jesus talked about how the person who's plowing can't look back. You know, they have to keep looking forward. And so there there definitely is that those times of being able to look at the past with clear eyes, again, with God's help, His Word, His Spirit, skill helpers. And for me personally, it was to be able to look at it clearly just to recognize that I, on the positive when the good things happen, I didn't count my blessings enough and the negatives to recognize that those ultimately had to be dealt with so that they were no longer nagging there. And so, yes, those glory days when people try to recreate it or pine for them, uh, it hurts them. In fact, Solomon in Ecclesiastes, in spite of his, you know, sometimes his cynicism in that book, he, he, of course, God still spoke through him. And he talks about how looking back actually isn't healthy for us. And I definitely had to walk through a journey of that letting go, because those glory days, both positive and negative, uh, were definitely holding me back. Yeah, in, in a way, it would seem that if you're holding on to the glory days, you're really not dealing with what's going on right now. And as you said so well, just a few minutes ago, the issue of repentance repentance means you're running to God. You're not running from him. You're acknowledging what your sin was. You're acknowledging where you are and turning to him for help. That That's the whole key, isn't it? To turn to the Lord in those moments. Absolutely. At the times that we feel as though the least worthy, 
that's when God wants us to turn to Him the most. There's these amazing, I say, tensions in the Christian faith where it's like, wait, when I'm weak, He's strong. That's when it. I humble myself, He lifts me up. And in a sense, repentance, by admitting complete failure and inadequacy, God says, now, will you let me build something that will last? Love it. We're going to go to a break. Kevin Goose with us. His book is Dry Bones, Redeeming Your Past. Back in a moment. For those of us who live in America, it may be hard to believe, but there are people in the country of Lebanon who have never heard about Jesus. That's exactly why Heart for Lebanon is there, working in the nation that's home to more than two million Syrian refugee families who have arrived there to escape civil war and terrorism. But every day, Heart for Lebanon is there, reaching out to these needy families in Jesus' name, telling them about him and providing food, Christian education, and survival essentials. And the Lord is changing their lives. Let me tell you about one of the those refugees, Hanifa, who is 10 years old. She lost her mother when she was just a toddler, but Heart for Lebanon met her as they were delivering food portions to her family. With no opportunity for formal education, Hanifa wakes her father up early in the morning when Heart for Lebanon's educational fun truck is scheduled to arrive. Recently, during a skit about God's love, Hanifa placed her faith and trust in Jesus for salvation. And now, because her father is illiterate, she's reading the Bible to him each evening. This family, although currently living in very tough times, is slowly starting to realize the hope that only comes through Jesus Christ and the hope that only reaches them because people like you give to get the gospel to them. Your single investment of just $116 helps someone like Hanifa and her family with supplies needed to survive the next four months and the hope of the gospel, which lasts forever. Perhaps you could help a family like this for an entire year by joining our Hope Provider team at just $29 a month. Whatever you can do, please call now. 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a Heart for Lebanon banner to click at JanetMefford.com. These families need immediate help. More than that, they need Jesus and they need you. Please call now. The number is 888-247-5499. That number again, 888-247-5499. Thank you. And God bless you for your generosity. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. So glad to have you with us and glad to have with us Kevin Goose. His book is called Dry Bones, Redeeming Your Past. I don't think there's any Christian alive who looks back at the past saying, I did everything right and everything was perfect. And if I could only go back to those glory days and relive when my life was wonderful. Uh, We all have things in our past that bring us shame, that bring us regret and that require repentance. And Kevin talks all about that in his book. And, And we were talking a little bit about that issue of people who dwell on the glory days. Something else, though, Kevin, that you mentioned in the book is people sometimes who need healing and freedom make the mistake of dwelling on missed opportunities. Talk about that one a little bit, if you would. Oh, absolutely. Many times we look back and we go, oh, if if I would have turned right instead of left, people get decisions they've made in relationships or education, careers, or past failures, and what happens is they believe that the life they presently have is like a consolation prize life, meaning I I couldn't have God's best today. And the problem there is that we believe that our failures are greater than who God can be in our lives. I think of Moses as an example. It sure wasn't God's will for him to murder an Egyptian soldier. 
And so 40 years later, when God calls him at the burning bush, I mean, Moses was like arguing with God and debating why he couldn't be God's chosen vessel. (laughs) But the reality was, is that God had to help Moses see that it wouldn't look like he thought it would, but God could still accomplish his full purpose in Moses' life. And I find that for many people, coming to terms with that is vital. Yeah, that's great. You know who else leaps into my mind is Joseph. I can't imagine Joseph looking back on the course of his life and saying, if only my father didn't favor me, if only I wasn't sold into slavery, if only I, if only I wasn't hit on by Potiphar's wife and, and thrown in prison. I mean, all of those things, you think of Romans eight twenty eight and God causing all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Joseph is a perfect example of that as well. All of those things that God was using in his life were coming up to this important moment where his brothers met him again and he was able to say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That's that's such an encouragement that there are stories like that of people in God's word who, who give us that reminder that just because you had all kinds of terrible things in your past doesn't mean that God is not in control of your life. Oh, absolutely. And your example of Joseph is, is, is so telling. He was sold into slavery when he was 17. He's elevated to the kingdom at 30, you know, as the second in charge. And he meets his brothers about when he's 39. And, you know, God had to, like you said, prepare him for that very moment. And then years later, when Ad dies, when Joseph's about 52, is when his brothers come before him begging for their lives. And then Joseph utters those amazing words from Genesis 50, 20, you meant it for evil, but God has used it for good for the saving of many lives. And so you're right, Joseph is just this, this pinnacle of what happens if we allow God the time and space to heal those broken places. Really great. Yeah, for sure. And, and another thing you mentioned is this healing from past pain that people tend to drag old hurts into the present and look back with regret on something that happened and they don't get over it. And, you know, it's interesting, Kevin, because I've met people like this and they will still be musing about some something that happened 20 years ago and you're left thinking to yourself, trying to be compassionate, but also trying to say, listen, you're a Christian. You've got to move on here. You can't just dwell on something for the rest of your life. Why do you think people tend to do that, though? What What is going on in the head and the heart of someone who just can't let go of something terrible that happened way back when? You know, I think there's a couple things that are key. One, the fear is that if I let it go, that somehow... Um, the person's going to get away with it. It, it. We think back to Jonah. In Jonah 4, Jonah admits the reason he ran it wasn't because he was afraid. He admits, he says, God, because I know you're a forgiving God. And so sometimes we feel if I hold on to it, then there can be justice. But yet the very thing that I'm holding on to is the bitterness that's just choking the life out of me. And so I think for, for people, number one, it's, it's being willing to say, God, I have to believe that this person's sin against me is not greater than the blood of Jesus Christ over me. And it's a real, it's, it's a real point of difficulty because I can't even let someone else's sin against me be greater than God in my life. Mm-hmm. And letting that go and trusting that the Lord knows what justice will look like. But then there's even the greater fear. What happens if God even forgives them? <laughs> right? I'm a Lord. I love that God forgave me, but there may be a person or two in my past that, well, Lord, I can't even imagine them coming to you. And, and God has to remind us that, okay, as hard as it is to imagine that, the same redemptive power to save me is the same redemptive power that can save them. And we sometimes wrestle 
with that because it's so personal because of a wound in our life or the wound in someone's life that we love dearly. Yeah. And isn't it fascinating that we always want gobs and gobs of mercy for ourselves, but we want justice for other people? Why? Why is that? It just seems to be a common human refrain. God, go get that guy who wronged me, but please have mercy on me, Lord, for my sins. I've never hurt anybody in my life, which is never true. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like, I want people to evaluate me on my intentions, what's inside of me, but I want to evaluate people just on their actions. You're so right that (laughs) we struggle with that. It is a, it is part of the, the, the human condition that we definitely need God's continual help with. Yeah. Well, one of the things you also mentioned is that you didn't let the lessons about gratitude and contentment and counting your blessings go deep enough to change your perspective when you were going through everything you were going through. What are you talking about there and what kind of advice would you give to other people about, boy, be, be thankful to God for what you have and be content with what you have? Why is that such an important thing? You know, because we, I believe that as people, again, from my own story, but then also to others, is we tend to define life based on what we don't have instead of what we do have. And so at the moment when there's a blessing, we tend to say, okay, but what's the next thing to achieve or to get or to aspire to? And so what ends up happening is we define life. It's like when Paul says in Philippians 4, I've learned the secret to being content in all things. And he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I think the struggle is we define life on what is yet to come rather than this idea of being present with God. Mm-hmm. And so as in, as in, so as an encouragement for others to say, it's not an accident that when God gave us his name, not just his, the descriptions of his nature, but his name, it was Yahweh, I am because for for God, he's not bound by time and space. And sometimes we need to be reminded, I sure need to be reminded, that each day there were blessings I need to purposely say thank you for. And when I didn't, I tended to to look life through the lens of cynicism or a critical spirit or despondency or discouragement, and I was missing the sustaining power of God that was right before me. That's really key. That's a great point. And, and the importance, again, of seeking God's forgiveness, not only that, but the forgiveness of others. I mean, I think there are, are a lot of pitfalls we can face in our relationships with other people. And anytime you have a situation like yours, there are always other people involved. How did you deal with that angle? Because for for some Christians, it's easy to maybe go and say, Lord, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. And it's harder sometimes to face the people you've sinned against. Have you found that to be the case as well? Absolutely. I I had to make a distinction and God had helped me make a distinction between his forgiveness based on him knowing me perfectly and other people who needed to hear me express a desire for forgiveness and then see me live that out. Um, I mentioned in the book that I can't ask, I can't tell someone when to trust me, but I can be trustworthy. And I would say, especially over that first year, I probably had conversations like this with about 200 different people. Um, And, but I, and so there are a couple things. One, the deeper the relationship the more patient I had to be. So for instance, the journey with my wife was say longer than the journey of an acquaintance, but, but my wife had trusted me with her entire heart. So it should take longer. And, and, and that journey must be there. The other is, is that I had a, a mentor who gave me a great example with Zacchaeus where Zacchaeus said, 
I'll give half of what I have to the poor. And he says, and if I've wronged anybody, I'll pay him back four times. It was a posture of repentance, meaning mm-hmm. Zacchaeus probably could not have kept track of everybody he ripped off. Right. But he basically said to Jesus, hey, as they come across my path, I'm willing. And I believe that's a posture that I was mentored to take. And in doing so, those conversations have happened over the years, but God's always helped in them. That's a wonderful example and such an important thing for all of us to remember as we recall Ezekiel and that great passage that you base your book on where you can see God breathing new life into dry bones. He can do it in your life as well. Dry Bones, the name of the book by Kevin Goose. And Kevin has been such a good guest. It was wonderful to have you here, Kevin. Really appreciate your being with us today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. God bless you and take care. And thank you for listening to Janet Mefford today. We really appreciate your tuning in every single broadcast and we will see you next time. By the grace of God, take care.